Good morning. My name is Ruby Hines. Our scripture reading today is found in Acts 4, verses 1 through 20. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priestess, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power and what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for is there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from Sanderhin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do about these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow, his Lord, 
Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let this mind also be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant found in human likeness, he humbled himself unto death, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, oh, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, he is Lord, he is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wherefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that name, name above every name, even Christ the Lord. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue over, under, and upon the earth shall confess that he is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, he is I don't do that very often, but this morning, uh, first of all, that song you will see is so uh, spot on with what the text of the word is about, as you heard Ruby read it, and second, my friend Jamie Rankin is in from Princeton, from Princeton University. This was one of these songs that when I used to be a pastor in a little church up the coast, um, I would be preaching on a text, and he would fly in and was to do music, and he would see in the bulletin. Jamie Rankin's solo with a text under it, so he had to create something, and this was one of them. Jamie, welcome back home to your church. Thank you for this music. At the end of the service, two other friends, two other friends are here also. This is kind of 
German day. Uh, Jamie teaches German at Princeton, and Manfred Steiger and Manfred Siebold are here. Manfred, they're friends also, and we'll be doing a benediction together, so stay all the way through. I want you to know, one of the uh, most wonderful gifts uh, my parents gave to me was their name. Waybright. Waybright. It's brought a lot of jokes. Way dull, how, how bright are you, you know, all those kinds of things. But it, it isn't what the name means. That was the wonderful gift. You know what I'm getting at? It's, it's the reputation of that name. Um, my parents were not famous people. Uh, they grew up in really small towns in West Virginia. And it's still, as I was growing up and I would meet somebody in town, and they would ask my name, and I would say, Greg Waybright. And, and they would say, oh, are you, are you Charlie Waybright's son? That's a man we can trust. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do that. Or, or they'd hear about my mom. Oh, you're Nino Waybright's son. She's the most fun person I've ever met. Uh, I've told you, uh, my, my mom was sort of a combination of Granny on Beverly Hillbillies and Lucille Ball, if you can kind of picture that together. They would always say, she is more full of life than anybody I've ever met. And about both of them, you know, they both came to faith in Jesus later in their lives. But about both of them, uh, people would always say, uh, those people, their, their faith is real. Even people who never went to church, uh, they would say, I'm not very religious, but if, if I were going to be religious, I, I'd want to be religious like they're religious. You know, you know how they get at it. Um, I'm sure that not all of you have had that privilege of having that name, and I think that uh, a name that, that you cherish and bearing, but um, that'll make this message even more special when, when you think about the fact that the God who made the universe is ready to bring us into his family and uh, identify himself by, uh, with us with the name. Now, when I talk about this, about how names, when we share them, that that reflects on one another. That, that's a foreign way of thinking to us here in our very individualistic United States. We always think, well, it's just the way I live. And, and, and this thing of oh, what the way I live reflects on my parents and the way my parents are reflect. We don't think about life that way very much, do we? But I'll tell you, those who have come from outside of North America and many in our church who have come from outside Western Europe, you think that way. And, and all through history and in almost every nation and culture in the world, it's that family name that you bear that has such huge significance in your life. So that if one person does something and goes astray, it, it can demean the entire family name. Now, if you can't, if you can't come to grips with that, you're, it's going to be hard to understand the Bible. Because the Bible talks about this all the time. And, and one of the amazing things about the Old Testament is that the God who made the universe, who created the universe, as we've been thinking about today, the one and only God chose to identify a people and name them by his name. The people of Israel. You are my flock. You are my sheep. You are my people. You are named by my name. That's what you find there. But their own prophets had foreseen a day when God himself would come into this world, through their line, come into this world. Isaiah 35, we saw it last week. God will come, 
And when God comes, one of the things that would happen when God would come into this world would be that his family would be opened up to all people groups. His home, his house was supposed to become a place of prayer, a home, a house of prayer for all nations. One of the things that he was going to make possible for all people is through his coming that that the family of God would be open to all people who would trust in him. And we, too, would be able to bear his name. Now, are you with me on this so far? Well, that brings us to Acts chapter 4. As Ruby was reading, it's hard to preach as well as you read, Ruby. Uh, just, Just telling you. As Ruby was reading, did you notice that you can hardly read that text without seeing how often this matter of name is prominent in that text? And each time it is pointing us to the name of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to walk you through it. And if you don't, I think I've put some of it up here so you can look at it. What we have is a man who had been healed. And it started back in Acts chapter 3. So if you pull all the way back to Acts chapter 3, verse 12, uh, Peter and John had been given the authority by Jesus to heal a man. And, and those who witnessed the healing were in awe of them. Wow, you guys are great. And this is what happened. Peter and John said, why do you look at us as if we have the power and godliness to do this? And then uh, you can't miss it. It is Jesus' name and faith in his name that has made this man strong. It is through, if you miss it two times, the name of Jesus that this man has regained perfect health in your sight. Well, I'm telling you, this created quite a struggle, especially for those who had put Jesus on the cross. And in chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, the authorities uh, called Peter and John together after the man had been healed. And, and they said to them, all right, we see something has happened. But by what name did you do this healing? And Peter's answer is clear as you come down to to verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, uh, the one who lived, and if you missed it, the one whom you crucified, I should be as direct in my preaching, huh? The one whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And then if you move down to that famous verse in verse 12, Peter takes that uh, specific uh, healing of the man and he applies it. He said the entire saving, healing, rescuing work of God comes through that same name. Here it is. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind whereby we must be saved. Now, I'm going to keep that verse up there for a moment. I know where I live. In a pluralistic, multi-faith, relativistic society, people find that exclusive claim hard to stomach. And maybe some of you do too. I don't know. Just see, it seems to me that many times we value just this bland 
toleration of anything anybody wants to believe rather than really pursuing whether God really is and how we truly know him, pursuing what might actually be true. So I'll tell you, when you read the scholars, the attempts to make this verse mean something different from what it so obviously says, to me, they've all failed. Uh, the basic idea is many try to say, well, it's really not talking about the person of Jesus. The name of Jesus is sort of the spirit of Jesus. And if things are done sort of in that spirit, that that salvation comes. I'll tell you, when you read this text, I hope you listen carefully as Ruby did. That really is impossible. Each time this name is pointing specifically to the historic Jesus. I mean, he puts it that way. It's Jesus of Nazareth. It is the one you crucified. It is the one who, who rose from the dead. You see, you can't take it away from that man who lived in history. The Jesus who lived, who died, but defeated death by his resurrection is the one who is able to save. And that brought them down to verses 17 to 18. So when the authorities had met and, and had to decide what to do with Peter and John, uh, they said this. To stop this thing from spreading any further among the people. We must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So they called Peter and John in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Of course, this is that oft-cited text about the relationship of, of us within our governments. And it comes back again in chapter 5. And I'll take it up much more then. But, but that Christians have always been good citizens within our nation. And I pray we still are. But I'm telling you, there have always been times when the edicts or laws of the nations directly contradict what God has told us to do. And we are citizens of a higher nation. And we, our allegiance is to a higher king. And you and I sometimes simply have to do what God tells us to do. The allegiance to Jesus trumps any other allegiance. I mean... We're not going to be able to get away, but we'll come back to that. So if I put it all together, uh, when you see how the name of Jesus is used in this account, um, it teaches us a lot. Now, last week, remember, I pointed out the name of Jesus is not like some sort of magical incantation because God is personal. It's not like if I could just sort of say that name with the right fervor, or in the right order, that poof, God is like a vending machine and he'll have to pop out whatever I want to, what I want to get. That's not the God of the Bible. God is a personal God. And sometimes he will say no. Sometimes we just have to trust him. And the other thing this is not, and Pastor Annie, let me see if I, Neufeld, I can almost not say that. She just got married. It's Annie McLaren, if you wanted. So she was in, a, in the uh, Bible study group with me this past week. And she said, you know, I grew up sort of thinking of um, uh, in, the, in Jesus' name as a sign-off line you put at the end of the prayer. Well, here I've been praying in Jesus' name. You know it's over, God. Amen. <laughs> well, as you look at this, it says a lot more than that. So today as we have come together, what does the name, bearing the name of Jesus, say to us? A couple of things that I've just felt I want to pass on to you. Number one, this. I want you to grasp and internalize that the name of Jesus and the person who bore it is the only source of our salvation. The only source of us being rescued. Now, um, 
I've got to say, the way the Bible here is using salvation is much more wonderful than the way we often use the words being saved uh, in our churches. Uh, the way we usually think about being saved, there are even movies made about it, aren't there? Saved. The way we usually think about it is sort of this, uh, well, you have things that are wrong in your life and you need to be saved from them. So to be saved means to have your sins taken away. Guilt and shame removed. That's good news, right? But it's not all that the salvation of God is about. Because, you know, simply to have my past forgiven and leave me living the way that I was living... That's not very good news. I don't know about you, but I'll be tugged to go right back to where I was. So what I need is better news than that. I, I need my, my past to be cleansed. But I need the power for tomorrow to be different from yesterday. I need a recreation. And, and when the Bible talks about salvation, it's talking about that whole ball of wax. That God knows us and he loves us. And he says, I won't hold your past against you. I will not keep any records of your wrongs. Um, I will be willing to cast your sins as far as east is from the west. Hallelujah. But I'm not going to leave you where you were. I will come into you and give my spirit to you. And I won't give up on you until you are all that I created you to be. Until everything is new. Until everything is new. And what does that mean? Uh, thank you. What does that mean? That means that the kind of lameness that this man has, when God makes everything new, there will be no more lameness. That means that when God's salvation is completed, then the poverty this man experienced, there will be no more poverty. And I'll just tell you some of the great things. When you leave church, you and I still face temptations, don't we? So when God is finished... With his work in you and me, those temptations that we give into all too easily, we will know his victory fully. And we have many in our church who struggle with, with anxiety. You don't even know where it comes from. It just pops on you. We don't talk about it in church much, but it's so common. Or, or, or wrestling with depression. When he is finished, he said, that's not going to last forever. And one of my favorite verses pointing us all the way to the end is Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 to 5. Just look at what the Word of God declares. When he's done with his saving work, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. Because the former things... Where other kingdoms reigned in this world, they're not going to be here anymore. They've passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, we're going to hear him declare this. Behold, I make all things new. Now, this, this is the gospel. When the Bible talks about the good news, this is the good news in its completion. And I'm just telling you this. The only one who can accomplish this is the name of Jesus. He is the only one who came into this world and lived perfectly the life we should live, but we haven't. And then was willing, because for a world to be moral and just, evil has to be punished. He was willing to bear the punishment due for my sins and yours by dying in our place on the cross. But death and sin could not hold him. And he defeated it through a resurrection. 
He lived the life we should have lived but haven't. He died the death we should have to but now we don't have to. And he offers that all who bear his name will know the completed salvation of God. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that's our hope. It's the first thing I want to point out. The name of Jesus is our source of salvation. Number two, a small part of this, a micro part of this, is that the name of Jesus has healing power. A part of that rescue is his ability to heal us. So everything that happens in Acts 3 and 4 came about because a man who'd been lame for 40 years uh, was healed in the name of Jesus. So so just picture it. He was there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when all the religious people came to pray. For 40 years, those who had come had seen that same lame man there, unable to walk, and they gave him some alms. And on this particular day, when they left their place of prayer and worship, they saw that man out there walking around, and the Bible even says, leaping around like a deer. (laughs) And this healing put the anti-Jesus people into a quandary, Because they had thought putting Jesus to death would end their struggles with him. And now they couldn't deny that something miraculous had happened in the name of Jesus. Now I pointed out last week that not all people in Jerusalem were healed that day. So the completed salvation of work of God hasn't happened yet. And yet we have evidence here that the God we believe in has power over sickness. And this man was healed. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, even though I still believe we live in a world where his work is not yet complete, we're waiting for the return of Christ to make all things new. God is present. And God's healing power is still available to us. He sometimes will say no, but sometimes we need to learn to come and ask in the name of Jesus for God to step into our lives and to heal. A little matter of teaching. Did you know that that word for healing in verse 9, the man was healed? And the word for saving, salvation in verse 12, is the same root word? It's all a part of what God does. So even now, even though we're still waiting for the world to come when there's no uh, emotional sickness, no relational scars, and no physical harm, We still pray. And here at Lake Avenue Church, I want to tell you, we pray for the sick. I don't think we pray enough for the sick. So we're going to pray more for the sick. Um, At the end of the service, I'll ask you to come and and, um, we'll pray for you there. And and you may want to follow exactly the way James 5 talks about it. I'll show that to you in just a minute. Praying in the name of Jesus for the sick. And even though sometimes God will say not yet. I truly believe we're going to see the hand of God at work to heal, to heal those inner emotional problems, to heal relationships, and to heal the physical problems too. I I just want to proclaim to you today, you're, you're hearing me, aren't you? There's still healing power in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? Now, he tells us how we're to go about it. James chapter 5, I'll put the verse here so you can see it. So in the church, is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. So we'll pray for you. And if you say, I want to call the spiritual leadership of the church, we will do that too. Uh, Texts like that, people have wrestled with their meeting for centuries. But sometimes I just think, 
We've got to simply do what the Bible tells us to do. Don't you think so? <laughs> Just do it as simply as it tells us to do it. And sometimes we'll have to wait. I know. But sometimes we're going to see the presence and power of God. There's healing power in the name of Jesus. Three. The name of Jesus is the center of the message that you and I give witness to, that you and I have to proclaim to the world. Remember, Jesus told us in Acts 1.8, we're supposed to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? And really the answer is witnesses to him. So you read through the many, many sermons. There are a lot of them in the book of Acts. We'll see a lot of them. And you know what they're all about? Not a hard question. They're all about Jesus. They're all about Jesus. Do you remember that joke I told once about the pastor who wanted to get the kids more interested in the sermons than they usually were? So he called them up there and he said, okay, kids, you want to get their attention. What's gray and sometimes it's brown that jumps around in trees? And they just are blank. They don't say a word. Second time, what's gray and brown? What jumps around? They don't say a word. Third time, he said, this is like me. This isn't a hard question, kids. What's gray and brown? It jumps around in trees. It likes nuts. Yeah, some of you remember this, this, this joke. And, and one of the little kids who never, uh, who, who never behaved himself in the back raised his hand. He said, okay, Mike, what do you think? He said, well, well, Pastor, all of us know we're in church, so the answer has to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> all right, when you come to these sermons and acts, you're going to see that every one of them is about Jesus. Every one of them is about Jesus. And then when we go after hearing about Jesus, you and I have to give witness to the fact that the one we trust, the one that we have put our faith in, is the person of Jesus Christ. I made the point a few weeks ago, but I have to make it again because I feel like we have fallen into a pattern in our society in which we feel like I can go to work or I can go to my school and just sort of live well. And then uh, I'll represent Jesus simply by living well. And, And that's good. We should live well, live morally and honestly. But I'll tell you, if we just do that and never talk about the name of Jesus, all we'll do is make people think that we're nice people. So so Peter and John healed. And everybody said, wow, you guys are great. And they said, it's not us. It's about him. And you and I have to find the courage somehow that when people are beginning to see the difference in our lives that following Jesus makes, that we'd simply say, I'm so thankful you see something, but, but I couldn't do it on my own. It, it's Jesus. Uh, maybe you've seen this so oft-cited supposed quote from St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. I understand the sentiment. If we talk about Jesus and our lives are or the opposite of his character. It's hypocrisy. But I'll tell you, number one, I don't think St. Francis ever said that. Just mark it down. I don't think he ever said it. And number two, we have to use words to point people to Jesus. Words are important to God. When he created, he used words to speak. And he does his recreation when we use words to point people to Jesus. And I'll warn you, When we actually use words to point to Jesus, what happened to Peter and John will sometimes happen to us. That's the scary part. I'll run you off. There will be opposition at times. Many people oppose them. Scholars oppose them, verse 13, and call them unschooled in common. Who would listen to these people? 
We're the ones who are trained. Uh, the government and, and the authorities opposed them and said they had no right to preach. Then they seized them and slapped them into jail. It's an irony that the same name that brings healing and salvation also brings opposition. Because we don't want to surrender to a new king. We'd rather keep going our own way. So, I'll just say this. If you'll do what I'm going to ask you to do, and you go out and you find the courage to say it is Jesus who is changing my life. Sometimes people will believe. But other times, you'll have more opposition than you've ever experienced. But I also want to tell you this. If you're simply being faithful to Jesus and opposition comes, you'll find incredible joy. Will you trust me on that? You'll, you'll just know that this is what you should do. So we have for a long time here tried, tried to identify a couple of names of people that all of us know that where people don't know Jesus as their Savior. We've written them down. We've put them in a cross. We pray for people. Now I want you to take a second step. If you haven't done that, do that now. Think about no more than three friends at work or at school or in your family. Uh, You can write them down. If you have your phone reading the Bible only, I know. You can go to the memo section and put their names down. But I'm going to ask you to go another step. I want you to begin praying that God would give you an opportunity to be the one who points them to Jesus. Sometimes there will be opposition, but believe me, some will come to know him as their Savior. The name of Jesus is the center of the message you and I are to give witness to. Four, finally. The name of Jesus gives you and me an identity that cannot be taken away. So when I read Acts 4, I see that when these men met the risen Jesus, they came alive to who they were and whose they were. Now, now why do I say that? I'll tell you this, because when you read back to Luke's first book, the Gospel of Luke, start near the end, you see these same men, not many months before, living for themselves. The only thing they cared about was, Jesus, when you get to Jerusalem, set up your kingdom. Which of us is going to get the greatest place? Which of us will get the, the perks when we get there? It was all about them. And now we meet them here when everybody wants to give them all the glory and everything's changing. It's not about us. It's about him. See, they once, their identity was they had lived for themselves. Now they had a new identity. They lived for him. Even more than that, you've just got to stand and wonder at these same disciples who in Luke 24 are found cowering and discouraged. They said because the Jesus that they left everything behind for had died and they said everything is lost. Woe is us, the Eeyore spirit. And here they are, that when people come up and oppose them, they don't even flinch. We're going to do what he tells us to do. You know what's happened. They found a new identity to their lives that could not be taken away by anything in this world. For them to live now that they had truly met the resurrected Jesus. For them to live was Christ. So even if they had to die, it was, Paul said, this is a gain. We get to be with him. And they knew that there was nothing in this world that could take him away. Even death. 
Jesus' resurrection had proven he was greater than that. Paul would put it this way, Galatians 2.20. So I have been crucified. What, what used to be the center of my life, that's gone. So I, the I, the identity I used to have, no longer live. But Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He had a new identity. They were with Jesus. Verse 13. Everybody saw them and said they belonged to Jesus. Jesus was willing to allow them to carry his name and represent him. And they were going to do it faithfully. So I tell you, Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. And I tell you, make the answer to the question of who are you something that cannot be taken away. And I'll just tell you, all our secondary identities uh, bring us much more joy. Do you know what I mean by secondary identities? I have many identities. I could go forever. I'm a pastor. Uh, Chris, I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a father. So questionable. I'll ask Dwayne after if I'm a soloist. Uh, I sang a solo. (laughs) So we have all these secondary identities. But we know with all of them, something's going to happen in our lives that takes them away, right? Aging. You want to hear me sing a solo 50 years from now? Uh, job loss, death. You and I need an identity that cannot be taken from us. Then anything else that happens can bring us joy. Our careers will bring us joy. And if, if we lose our careers, we still are who we are. So you see it in Peter and John. Put us in prison and we are still who we are. We belong to Jesus and he cannot be taken away from us. So I'm going to tell you, this is both the challenge and privilege of what I want to say to you. If you identify yourself as belonging to Jesus, that means you and I represent him to this world. And the way you and I live reflects on him to our world. There are going to be countless people who will never put a foot in Lake Avenue Church. How are they going to know what Jesus is like? They're going to watch us. And the way you and I live will represent Christ to us. It's a powerful lesson to me. The name of Jesus can be dishonored when you and I who bear his name do not live in a way that's consistent with his character and with his word. I told you one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was the family name, right? And Jesus gives us the privilege of representing his name, of bearing his name to this world. When you bring Jesus into your life, you're made a part of the family of God and you bear his name. The name of Jesus is at stake in the way you and I live our lives. For for us to come to church and to pray, thy will be done on Sunday, and then to go out and live, my will be done on Monday. For me to come in here and sing songs of praise because God loves songs of praise one day and then to go out and treat our employees without integrity and not paying them just wages or not 
not caring about the people that God brings across our paths. That is not what Jesus did. I'll close with this. When I was president of a school, Chris, you remember this, I had a stump speech <laughs> when our students would go out, especially for music events, choirs, or uh, especially sporting events, our football teams or our uh, basketball teams. I would always go and meet with them. And I would go and say to them this, all right, men and women, um, when you go out, the way you live reflects on who you are. And that's important. You represent yourself. But you represent not only yourself, you represent your biological family. So if people have never met your folks, they're going to know what your folks are or think they know what they're like by watching you. But now I've got to bring it home. You represent not only your family when you go, but you represent Trinity International University. Uh, many people will not come and visit this little school. Especially if you go to California in January and they hear what the weather is like here. How are they ever going to figure out what Trinity is like? They're going to watch you and say what happens in the lives of those students is what that school is about. You represent the school. Well, here comes the part. Our, our school is named Trinity. And so they, they somehow sense that we represent God. So I'm going to tell you the way you live will reflect upon God himself. And I said to them, do not demean the name. Live in such a way that brings honor to the name. Now, I gave that stump speech so many times that I think the students could give it. Um, and so the, especially the athletes, when they would drive the buses off, they would open up the windows as they were driving off. And they would yell out at me, Prez, we will not demean the name. They would yell that out together. And when they would come back home... They would say, we did not demean the name. And they usually didn't. <laughs> they usually didn't. And that's my message to you, brothers and sisters. Uh, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus represent him to our world. Chapter 4, verse 13. They look at these men and they knew they had been with Jesus. So you and I are to tell the world who Jesus is. And we are to show the world what Jesus is like. So today when the service is over and you leave this place, you carry with you the name of Jesus. Make a commitment now to live in such a way that honors him. I tell you as I tell the students, do not demean the name of the God who loves us with an everlasting love. Let us bring glory to him. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, take this word and show us how we should apply it to our lives. We want to speak this name to our community that others may find the new life that you give. We want to carry this name to our world. But we know that though it must be with our words, our lives must be consistent with those words. Oh Lord, do your transforming work within us that even now those who watch us see the differences you are making. 
and we'll be drawn to you. We'll give praise to you. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.